Hey everybody, welcome to the Fearlessly Authentic Podcast, episodes aimed at presenting truth in a fearlessly authentic way. By now you know I'm Jerry. Today's message is Payback, Part 2. In the last episode, we heard about how Joseph gave to his brothers undeserved expressions of grace. And did you know that by giving those that have wronged us undeserved expressions of grace that you can actually help to awaken their seared conscience? That's what Joseph did, and that's what we see a little bit in his brothers. Let's look at that message right now. First sign of awakened conscience is being revealed to us here is that a person starts owning up for what they've done wrong. If you're not willing to own up what you've done wrong, your conscience is still seared. You're, you're trying to figure out if this person is someone who is, 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 is someone that you can maybe uh, extend that grace in a way to try and find a, a reconciliation. Uh, one of the things you're looking for is, are, are they willing to own up for what they've done wrong? Now, not, notice how they did this, okay? It's, it's important to understand this. Notice the pronoun we that is used here. Because in the Hebrew language, when the word we is used here, it's used in what we call an emphatic position. So it wasn't just like, oh yeah, we did this. It's like, we! It's us! Nobody else. Nobody else. They didn't blame their father for being passive. They didn't blame their brother for being proud and, and favored. They didn't say that they were too young to know any better. They simply said, we are responsible. There's no one else to blame. If you are one of those persons who put yourself in the second category that maybe your conscience is seared, uh, you need to start owning up for what you've done wrong. If you're a believer, you know that the Spirit is still trying to work through that hardened shell of a conscience that you have, and you have to come to a point where you're willing to say, I am wrong. It was me who did this. It wasn't this person. It wasn't her fault. It wasn't, well, I did it because you did this or he did this. It's that I have done it. I am guilty. I am responsible. And that's and those of you who have been wrong, that's what you're looking for in someone who is awakening from a seared conscience. They're feeling the distress that Joseph felt. If you see the text there in verse 21, it uses, therefore, is this distress come upon us. The word distress means to bind, to restrict, to cramp, or to tie up. But in this context, it's used emotionally. That emotionally, they're starting to feel the very thing that they did to Joseph at this point. They are starting to get a point maybe for the first time in their lives where they realized what Joseph was going through when he was in the pit and they bound him and they sold him to the slavery because here they were in front of, uh, front of Pharaoh's representative, his prime minister, and he's tre- treating him as spies. He's already put him in jail for three days. He's threatening to kill them and they're starting to feel that same distress. When you've done wrong to someone and haven't gone through the necessary process to make things right with them, And with God, you become the victim of the very distress that you're putting the person through. It's funny how God brings that right back around and you start to feel the very same things. 20 years later, and they still feel this distress. When I was a kid in high school, we had to do literature in English. I didn't love it too much. We had to read Edgar Allan Poe. That's a brilliant, wonderful, positive guy, right? We had to read this short story called The Telltale Heart. Telltale Heart is about a guy who kills someone and buries him in his basement and He's upstairs all the time, and he, he just he, he keeps on hearing this heart. He can't sleep at night because there's and that there's no heart beating. He's just talking about the conscience is so the guilt of his conscience is so great that it, it, it causes him to just admit that he's done it. I am the one who did it. I'm the one who did it. It's just a really weird type of thing that you would have kids read that in high school. But it's so true to our conscience, isn't it? There are times if you have, even with a seared conscience, that you have trouble sleeping because of the things that you know that you have done that you haven't gotten right with that person or gotten right with God. 
Oh, I can't, I'm having trouble sleeping. Oh, really? Are you sick? No. You working? Yeah, but nothing any particular. Well, what's going on in your mind? Well, you know, I don't know. You know! You just don't want to tell anybody. It's that telltale heart that's beating. And that's what's going on with these guys. Time doesn't erase distress. That's the thing. Well, I, you know what? Maybe if I just let this go, time, time will never erase this distress. It's been 20-some years now, and these guys still feel that same distress of what happened when they did that to Joseph. And we know from experience the inescapable reminders of guilt. The entanglements that are brought about the consequences of our own sin can even make us physically sick. So, well, I don't know about that. Well, the psalmist said it in Psalm 32. David said this in Psalm 32 and verse 3. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old, through my roaring all the day. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned from the drought of the summer. So we see here that the first sign of awakening conscience is the fact that they are owning up for what they have done wrong. What's the second one? What's the second one? Look at verse 25. Then Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and to restore every man's money unto his sack and to give them provision for the way. And thus did he unto them. And they laded their asses with the corn and departed thence. And as one of them opened his sack to give his ass provender in the inn, he espied his money for, behold, it was in the sack's mouth. It's my shortest point, but it's pretty interesting. It's this one. Uh, the second sign of awakening conscience is being the recipient of undeserved expressions of grace. A conscience can be awakened, a seared conscience, when they become the recipient of undeserved expressions of grace. So am I telling you to do it? Not necessarily telling you to do it yet, but what I'm telling you is that if you're here with that seared conscience, are you fighting the awakening of it when you're feeling these undeserved expressions of grace coming upon you? They, they left there, and I'm sure they hightailed, hightailed it out of town, right? I mean, how long are you going to stay there? I mean, Simeon had to stay, but you know, hey, if one has to go for the many, then maybe it, I'm glad it's not me. You know, that might be in their, their policy at that point. But they get to the inn, and they stop there, and they go to get some food for their donkeys, and they go to there, and they see that all of their money was restored to them. Joseph's brothers didn't even deserve grain. Get that, okay? They, they deserved no money. They deserved punishment, possibly even imprisonment for what they had done to Joseph. Bottom line, no doubt about it. They deserve to be punished, and they may even deserve to be imprisoned. They didn't deserve grain. They deserved the ward. They didn't deserve their money. They deserved to be put in prison for a long time for doing what they did. But instead, they wound up with freedom, the full sack of grain, and all their money returned because Joseph decided to give them an undeserved expression of grace, and it freaked them out. Undeserved expressions of grace can awaken a seared conscience like something that sometimes no other action can do. And here's the response that you will hear from someone with a seared conscience when you give them an undeserved expression of grace. How, why would you do this for me? Why would you do that for me? After all I've done to you, why would you do this for me? It blows their little peep-picking minds. Undeserved expression of grace. But let's move on. I'm going to direct your attention down here to verse 28. And so, when he sees the money in the sack's mouth, he said unto his brethren, My money is restored, and oh, it is even in my sack. And notice their response. Their heart failed them, and they were afraid, saying one to another, What is this that God hath done unto us? My third idea of how to awaken a seared conscience is this. They'll start to begin to have a different perspective on the situation. Their perspective will change. The brothers find that their money is returned in their sack. And instead of being happy about it, they were frightened. It literally says their heart failed them and they were afraid. Reminds me of that old sitcom, Sanford and Son. I'm coming to you. And every time, you know, he feigned a heart attack, you know, my heart's failing. Oh, here it comes. Yep, here it comes, you know. I mean, their heart, they just, they just, they just, 
the color drop from their face? This, this word afraid is an interesting word. It's used in 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 15 to describe a great earthquake. Same word that's used afraid here is used to describe an earthquake in Samuel chapter 14. It's also used earlier in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 27. It's the exact word that, that describes Isaac when he found out that he was deceived by Jacob. It literally means that they were shaking. It literally means that they were shaking. When they went to the bag and they opened up and they saw their money there and everyone went to their bag and they saw their money there, they literally were frightened and they were shaking. They were shaking to the core. These tough shepherd guys who took a little boy or a little teenager, 17 years old maybe, and tied him up and threw him in a pit and then decided to sell him. Now, 20 years later, as middle-aged men had been experienced all kinds of things, being fathers of many children themselves, when they see this money there, they are just frightened. And they ask this question, what is God doing? It's interesting. What is God doing? Not only are they feeling the full brunt of their guilt, but they're also sensing that God's hand is in this. They begin to have a different perspective on the situation. Sometimes we become victims of all kinds of treatment that we've meted out to someone else. And when the harm, the hurt, and the pain that we brought on someone else is visited upon us, something begins to change in us. God begins to break through our hard shell and soften our hearts that have become calloused. Now remember, at this time, they still had no idea that Joseph was alive. All they knew is they were going through this great distress, and they were instantly reminded of their actions that they had caused their brother over 20 years ago. They didn't have to decide, well, I wonder why God is doing this. They knew right away that this was all in response to the fact of what they did to Joseph 20 years ago. Their conscience had been seared, but now it's being awakened. They started owning up for what they did. They were, they, were, they were the recipients of unexpected grace, and now they started to have a different perspective. What's God trying to do? What is God trying to tell us? What is God trying to show us through all this? And they were terrified. See, the passing of time does not erase a guilty conscience. You can divorce him, you can divorce her, you can disown him, you can leave the job, you can move states, you can do whatever, but the passing of time will never relieve a guilty conscience. Even at, the ache will still linger even after all the family moves, moves on and grows up. The, the ache will linger after the crime is dismissed in the courtroom. Even after the divorce is final and you've walked away without biblical justification, the, the ache will still linger. Even, if, even after the things done in secret are far from anyone's awareness, the ache will linger. Even after decades, of one writer says, of polluted water being washed beneath the bridge of memory, the ache will still linger. In these 28 verses, we see some conscience being awakened, and we see some wonderful grace being extended by Joseph. But remember at the beginning of the sermon, I said that you would either take the perspective that you were the one being wronged or the one who was wronged. And I told you that if you took the first position, which probably the majority of you did, I told you to pay attention to the end of the message. Well, th this is for you. First part was for those with a seared conscience. If you have a seared conscience, you need to own up what you're going to do, what you do. You need to see the expressions of grace that are given to you and allow it to soften your heart. And you have a different perspective. Start to see. You'll start to see that you can't get rid of this guilty conscience. And God is trying to get you to release this seared conscience and make things right with the person and God. You, you need to make things right. You need to do right. But what about the person who was wronged? The, the, where the majority of us hang out. Joseph could have kept a list just like your little list. But part of the reason that he didn't keep a list is found in the name that he gave his son, Manasseh. Remember we talked about that last week? Manasseh literally means God has made me to forget. Every time that he called his name, Manasseh, he remembered that he made a covenant with God to forget what his brothers did to him. So, well, I can forgive, but I can't forget. That is absolutely true. You can forgive and you should forgive and you're commanded to forgive, but it's hard to forget. 
So what, I just have to deal with that? And I just, well, I can forgive you, but I can't, I can't forget it. No, 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 no. I need to start to make a covenant with God that I'm going to choose to forget because I have forgiven. They did this to me, and I can't forgive. I, I, I can forgive them because the Bible says I should, but I just I can't forget what they did. It just comes up. Make a covenant with God. You need to have a Manasseh moment. A lot of us are married here. This is so important in the marriage relationship. Your spouse is going to do things that are going to hurt you from time to time, sometimes very deeply. You need to have a Manasseh moment because the covenant that you made with God in front of God and his witnesses in front of a preacher Sunday is way more important than you getting your revenge and keeping your little list. The covenant you made with God is way more important than any wrong. That person who had wronged you so much is still loved in the eyes of God and perhaps God is trying to use you to reach them. And we don't like that position. We want revenge, we want punishment, we want imprisonment. We don't want to be the vessel that God is going to use to give grace to someone who has hurt us so bad. Let's just be honest. We don't want to be that vessel. But Joseph is that vessel. And we look at Joseph and say, oh, what a godly man. Oh, I want my, we name our kids Joseph. We want our kids to be like Joseph. We tell our kids to be like Joseph. Hey, Joseph is a great role model. Hey, Joseph is a great model, role model. And then we model exactly the opposite in our marriage relationships or in our relationships with others. I'm going to get revenge. I'm not going to forgive. I'll never forget that. I'll never do that. We never will have a Manasseh moment. We'll never do that. But we want this seared conscious person to admit what they're wrong and respond to the, 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 the expressions of grace that other people do and get a different perspective. And we keep on thinking that somehow that's going to happen when the very person who could be doing it the most and that God may be wanting to use to do it the most isn't available to do it because they've taken themselves out of the situation. Now, please understand, I'm not talking about crimes and wicked. I'm talking about basic relationship stuff, okay? I'm not saying if your uncle sexually abused you sometime in the past that somehow you just, you know, make everything right. No, he needs to be locked away for a long time. That's not what we're talking about here, okay? So please don't misunderstand that. Sometimes we Christian people say things and we don't clarify that and so people take it the wrong way. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about basic relationship conflicts that we have that marriages break up for or families break up for when all we could do is maybe have a Manasseh moment and we can go forward. How did Joseph do this? He asked God to help him to forget. His brothers deserved to be on his hit list, but he didn't have a hit list. If he had a hit list, the cupbearer would probably be the first one dead. Remember the cupbearer there in the prison? Hey, when you get there, tell him about me. I've been wronged and you know, I, I interpret your dream and I'm told you're going to live. He gets there, he forgets him for how long? Two years. Two years later, here comes Joe, or the, the situation comes and the cupbearer has enough courage and character and say, well, there was this guy, and, and when Joseph is promoted and he's, he's given the ring, and he looks over at the cupbearer, you could think the cupbearer is singing like, <laughs> Joseph never even mentions the cupbearer. Do you know that? It's never mentioned again. Why? He didn't have a hit list. Why? Because Joseph walked with God. We say that a lot. We need to walk with God, but what does that mean to walk with God? It means not, it's, it's refusing to spend your days asking, uh, like Joseph, why did he forget me? Self-pity, questioning, why is this happening to me? He refused to spend his day saying, why, 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 what is this, what is it? He refused to spend his day. He's going to walk with God. He's going to walk in victory. He probably prayed something like, God, get this process done. I don't know what this process is, but get this process done. I'll keep my eyes on you. I'll accept being forgotten. Keep my heart right and help me release all my feelings of resentment and revenge, God. Just help me to do what's right. Spent a whole lot more time asking God to help him than he did to bring judgment on those who had forgotten him. So my question to this morning is, are you keeping a list? All you people who have been wronged? No, I like it better when the message was about the guy, the seared conscience guy. Go back to that. No, no, we're not going back to that. Are you keeping a list? 
Perhaps you've not seen how abundantly His grace has rearranged and restored your life. How God's grace has rearranged and restored your life. We could meditate on that for a while. See, people who keep a list tend to have an insensitivity toward God. People who keep a list that are in perspective number one eventually become people in perspective number two. Those of us who have been wronged and have a list and are waiting for that opportunity become insensitive toward God and eventually we callous our heart and become the seared conscience person who will wrong others. That's inevitable, folks. Joseph could have done that. But we probably wouldn't have read this much about him in Genesis. I want to invite him to come to the cross of Christ, who once removed our names from the list of the unforgiven, who gave his life for us, who deserved death. I want you to come to the cross this morning and leave your list at the cross and ask God to use you to forgive and then to Manasseh, to begin to ask God to help you to forget. Let me pray for you. So do you have a list? Do you have a list of people that you want to pay back? If given the opportunity, you'd exact revenge against them? Joseph teaches us a different way. He teaches a way of giving those who have wronged us undeserved expressions of grace. Well, I hope you were encouraged today, and I hope that you'll share this with others on your social media and tell others about what you're learning here at Fearlessly Authentic. Thanks for listening today, and we hope that you'll come back for another episode of our Fearlessly Authentic podcast.